0: Christians can be a crazy bunch, you know? I mean, I don't know if you've ever, if you've figured that out, if you've uh, noticed that or not. Uh, But sometimes the people who claim to be Christians, who claim to believe that there's a God, that they are by nature separated from God on account of their sins, that God in his mercy sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that they should live but can't and die the death they deserve to die but don't have to and rose from the dead victorious on the third day and they believe that they're reconciled to God through faith in him, sometimes those very people turn around and, and do things that just seem to completely undercut the truth of what they claim to believe. And I'm not even talking about like, Your mind might be going to like blatant obvious sins people who profess to be christians and then turn around and sin but that's not even what i'm talking about this morning i'm talking about people who profess to be christians and profess that right standing with god is accomplished through jesus and then turn around and do crazy stuff acting like that somehow contributes to their spiritual well-being or their standing before god so uh give you an example i remember there was, it was about 10 years ago, there was a guy who was um, a, a real um, a big, I don't know if that's what to say, real big healer. Like, that was his, that was his deal, right? Like, I pray for people and they get healed. Like, I've got a, I've got a monopoly on the healing market, right? And so one of their things that, that they were doing in addition to that was, we can pray for you tonight to be healed, but We have people praying in an upper room in Jerusalem 24-7. And so if you will send in your prayer request, we will have them prayed for in the upper room in Jerusalem. And it's like, what in the world? Don't you know that we have an advocate before the Father that we worship in spirit and truth, that we can pray to God from anywhere in the world, and it's just as good as anywhere else. Yeah, right. How ridiculous. But people are sending in those prayer requests, getting prayed for in Jerusalem. Or uh, I'll give you another example. People will go to Jerusalem on these Israel tours. And I, if anyone's here, I love you. Forgive me for offending you. And they will go see the Jordan River. And they will be like, I know I got baptized 35 years ago because I believe that Jesus is enough to die for my sins and make me right with God. But I need to get baptized in the Jordan River because that's where Jesus got baptized. And I need to get baptized again in the Jordan River. And it's like, dear brother, dear sister, what is wrong with you? Don't you know there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism? Don't you know that baptism points to our union with Christ through faith? That it's not about what the water temperature is, and it's not about where the water came from, and it's not about the size of the pool, or that it's about Jesus? But yet, man, there are lines of people on those Holy Land tours waiting to get down into the water. And, And I can't imagine... Some of the things that professing Christians would do today if the great Jewish temple in Jerusalem were still standing. I mean, I could see people saying, you know what? I think I'm going to buy a lamb. And I'm going to have them kill that lamb on the altar so that I can picture what Jesus did for me. And as ridiculous as that sounds, I literally believe that there are Christians who would do crazy stuff like that. And to do something like that would be a terribly grievous gesture to the holy God who gave up his only son once for all time. And I just think about some of the goofy things that well-meaning Christians do, thinking that it is somehow enriching them. Or enhancing their position before God. And I want to say, brothers and sisters, wake up. You are losing sight of the forest for the trees. You are thinking about all of this stuff. And, and you are not seeing the greatness of Christ. And the all-sufficiency of Christ. Instead, you are thinking about these trivial non-beneficial things in front of you. And that is one of the points that the book of Hebrews in the Bible is trying to make. The author of that book is saying, listen, y'all, you're focused on all of these types and shadows, all of these Old Testament systems and structures. Don't you realize that they are all just Neon arrows pointing to Christ. And once you have Christ, you don't need any of those things anymore. Once you've reached your destination, you don't need the mile markers. You've arrived. And Jesus is the one that we have been journeying towards. The the author doubles down on this in our text today today beginning with verse 8 of chapter 13. And he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This means that Jesus is, was, and always will be the number one way, the only way, the exclusive way that people are forgiven of sin and brought out of death into life and put in right standing with God. I remember in college, I had to take a a class because I thought I wanted to go into ministry. And uh, so I had to take this class. And I did it begrudgingly. I had a great attitude about the whole thing. And the the professor um, didn't impress me. And so I, I, I wrote him off. And didn't listen to a lot of things he said. But I look back and I'm like, that dude was so wise. And I was so dumb. Uh, But one of the things that he said was, I remember in one class, he said, how were people in the Old Testament saved? How were people in the Old Testament saved? And I remember thinking, well, we have the law. They were supposed to obey the law. And the law said that they were supposed to make sacrifices and offerings and so, and they had, to, the men had to be circumcised. The, you know, they had to have the children circumcised. And they had to, uh, they had to observe the, the festivals and the feast days. So, the way that Old Testament people were saved, this is what I thought. The way that Old Testament people were saved was by doing what God said and making sacrifices for their failures. But I was too cool to speak up in class. So, someone else did and he said, that's incorrect. The way that people were saved back then is the way that people are saved now and the way that people will always be saved. And that is by grace through faith in Christ. Well, they didn't know about Christ. Well, then they knew about the promise. They knew about the promise of a Savior starting in Genesis 3.16. They knew about the promised offspring of Abraham. They knew about the promised offspring of David they knew about the promised suffering uh, servant in Isaiah 53 they had God's promise they had God's king they had God's sacrifice they they had all of this they have always been looking forward by grace through faith I thought that is so dumb but it's guess what it's so right it is so right Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always been the number one way, the only way, of salvation for God's people. But not only is Jesus the source of salvation, but Jesus is the way of making progress in our salvation. It's not getting baptized in the Jordan River. It's not having your your prayer request prayed for in the upper room in Jerusalem. It is not, it is not anything else but Jesus. You see, we, we need Jesus not because we need to get out of jail free card. We don't just need our past offenses covered, but we need Jesus because we need to be transformed. And until we're completely like Jesus, we'll continue to need to be transformed. And that transformation is becoming more like him, growing in godliness, growing in holiness. And Jesus is the way or the source of that continual process of change and transformation in a person's life. So Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the way to be saved or made right with God. And Jesus is the way to grow or be strengthened in our faith. The way of salvation and the way of growing in our salvation is always Jesus. There's never been another plan. There never will be. It's always Jesus. And that is the thrust of our text today. So let's pick up in Hebrews chapter 13, starting with verse 8, and read the the following verses through, through 16. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Amen? Amen. 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 So in light of the truth that Jesus Christ is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. He is the way of salvation. He is the way of making progress in our salvation. The only way is always Jesus. Our passage today, in light of that, contains a, an, an exhortion, exhortation, I should say, a warning and two commands. And here's what they are. The exhortation is every Christian needs to be strengthened in Christ. It should be on the screen. And that happens only through Christ. The warning is every Christian needs to be on guard against teachings which will draw them away from confidence in Christ. The first command is every Christian needs to embrace reproach or rejection through identifying with Christ And the second command is every Christian needs to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Christ. So let's start with the exhortation. It's found in verse 9 where we read that it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Now, a person who is ill, who's injured, and who just lays in a bed. If they lay there in that bed... Because of their illness, their injury, for a long time, one of the results is that their muscles will begin to atrophy. They will begin to lose abilities, or maybe not actually lose them completely, but they will lose them temporarily. They will not be able to do, they will not have the same strength and the same ability that they once had. The, the muscles need to be used. They need to be strengthened. Spiritually speaking, we need our muscles strengthened. Not, not literal muscles, not arms and legs and, and stuff like that, but but we need our heart muscle strengthened. When the Bible refers to the heart, it's talking about our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's talking about our wanter, our wanter. It's what gives you the want To do something. It's your beliefs. It's your get up and go. And we need our hearts, spiritually speaking, to be strengthened with a greater confidence in Christ as our substitute and our redeemer and our righteousness, resulting in a greater love for God and more of a hunger for the things of God and a greater resolve to fight sin and pursue holiness. We need our hearts to be strengthened, our mind, our will, our emotions to be strengthened to this end. So how do we experience this strengthening? How can our hearts be strengthened? And our text today says it is grace. Grace is how our hearts are strengthened, the grace of Christ. Sometimes when we think about grace, we talk about it like it's a a commodity. We talk about grace like it's a substance that that we use, that we consume. But grace is God's favor towards us, his activity on our behalf. It is his blessing and its goodness. Ultimately, grace is just an extension of who God is. The, The word that the Bible uses for grace just means, simply means gift. And God's greatest gift is a person, the person of Jesus, who is God in the flesh, which means that if we are Christians, our hearts need, or or rather I should say, our hearts are best strengthened, they need to be strengthened in the faith, and that happens by God's gift of himself in Jesus. So how do we get more of a person? How do we get more of God? How do we get more of Jesus? And when we think about grace, I was thinking this past week, it's more like water than it is air. And here's what I mean by that. How do we get air? Well, it's all around you. You simply breathe it in, right? But how do we get water? Well, to get water, we have to access it, right? You have to turn on a faucet. You have to turn, you have to get it through a hose. You have to Scoop it up with a bucket. You have to do something with water. You can't just say, water me. You've got to do something to get the water to you, right? Well, that's why, that's why grace is more like water, because you need a channel. You need a means, right? We call that the means of grace. That channel is the means of grace. And the means of grace are the ordinary ways through which God gives himself to us, and we are given to God. Traditionally, the right preaching of the word, the the right practice of the Lord's Supper and baptism and prayer, those are means of grace. They are ways that we give ourselves to God, and God gives himself to us. We receive God's uh, presence and God's pleasure, even, through those means. In addition, meditation on God's word, fasting, scripture reading, and even memorization, these can all be means of grace, channels by which God gives himself to us. We give ourselves to God and experience God in our lives and are strengthened. Our hearts are strengthened. The key, though, with each of these is they are not a work. They're not a way that we earn anything with God. You don't earn water simply by turning on the tap. You turn on the tap and the water comes forth freely. These are all just ways of meeting with God, a way for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. Not that he's not there already, but it's a renewed faith that's a strengthening, a, a greater confidence, a deeper trust as we give ourselves to God in these means that he's given us to begin with and then he gives himself to us and that's the admonishment we need to have our hearts strengthened by grace and that grace is the person of Christ and we receive Christ as we give ourselves to the means that God has given us for receiving more of him in our lives the warning is also found in verse 9 In verse 9, we are warned not to let our hearts be led astray or led away by diverse and strange teachings. And here's what they amount to. Strange teachings are ways to strengthen our hearts that are not rooted in Christ. Anything that is given to us, we we hear strange teachings and we might think like, oh, like Christian science. uh, You know, that is... That's a completely different religion altogether. Or Mormonism. That is a completely different religion altogether. And that's true. Those are definitely strange and diverse teachings that we should stay away from. But strange and diverse teachings can also be any teaching under the banner of Christianity that presents itself as a way to strengthen our hearts that is not ultimately rooted in Christ. That does not drive us to Christ. So ways to be holy. A bunch of rules about how to be holy. A bunch of rules about how to be godly. A bunch of rules about how to be more spiritual. That isn't rooted in the sufficiency, the all-sufficiency and the beauty of Christ. All of that stuff, all those rules and regulations, their works rather than the grace of Christ. Christ and the example that's given in our text is foods. And what that's referencing is the ceremonial laws or the food food laws in the Old Testament that you could eat certain things but you couldn't eat other things and that you had to abstain from these other things because they might make you unclean. But what the text says is that those things don't benefit The people who are devoted to them. The, you know, hard work equals reward, right? Well, the text today is saying that these people are working hard, but they're not being rewarded for it. Because the only way to really be rewarded is to receive Christ. Christ is the reward. So hard work is of no benefit. Because Jesus is the reward and Jesus is given to us as a gift. So anything that is not in pursuit of Christ will not benefit us. And these people are not being benefited. Paul, the apostle, writing in the book of Colossians to the Christians there, tells them that there are some folks who are trying to get them to buy into this system of rules, especially surrounding food. And he even says those things are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh what he's saying is all that hard work all that rule following will not change your wanter it will not it will not change your drive your desires abstaining from things which aren't actually, Sinful in and of themselves doesn't change the desire of your heart for things that are of no benefit to you and that are grievous to God. All those systems, they don't give you more of God. They're simply methods of white knuckling, trying to be a good person or a holy person. They're all. Various methods of being your own savior. Remember, Jesus is the same though. He's always the only way of salvation and the only way of growing or making progress in our salvation. All these other things don't actually make anyone good or anyone holy. These things are like so many of the various supplements on the market today, pills or shakes that are supposed to to help people in various ways, but they, they, they don't actually deliver on the, on the promises they make because they don't bring lasting change. It's only the appearance of change. The thing that the original audience was getting pulled back into was all of this Old Testament ceremonialism, which again, as we mentioned, was supposed to point them to Christ It has no lasting value once Christ has arrived. But they were getting sucked back into it. And in verse 10 through 12, the author makes the point that Christ's cross is a better altar than the altars of the Old Testament. And that Christ is a better sacrifice than the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And the things that that these other people were trusting in, this whole system could could not do for them what Christ could do. Because only by the blood of Christ, only by the perfect sacrifice of Christ, can sinful people be forgiven and can unholy people be made holy. That leads us to the first of our two commands, which is to embrace reproach or rejection through identifying with Christ. Now, in the Old Testament which we see here in this text, the people would offer sacrifices all throughout the year, right? But there was one particular sacrifice that had greater significance. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, a special sacrifice was offered for the sins of the people. All the other sacrifices, you can make your sacrifice, and a portion of that sacrifice, the priest could eat and sometimes even a portion of it came back to you to eat, depending on what kind of sacrifice it was. But when they gave this special sacrifice on the Day of Atonement to cover sins, nobody could eat of it. The sacrifice was made, the blood was shed against the altar, and then everything else was taken out, and it was to be burned. Well, the day that Jesus died on the cross was the real Day of Atonement. It was the, it was the final reckoning between God and, and his people for their sins. And Jesus was that special sacrifice that didn't just belong to people for their consumption, but belonged to the people for their reconciliation to God. And just like the other sacrifices on the Day of Atonement were taken outside the city afterwards and burned, Jesus and his sacrifice happened at the side of the city. He was crucified outside of the city walls because that's where they crucified criminals. He was, he was uh, experienced the, the wrath of God outside of the city walls because outside of the city walls is where the sacrifices were burned. And so there's a reproach. You don't want to hang out outside the city walls. There's criminals and there's garbage, and there's burning flesh. You don't want to be out there. That's not where you go for a, a, a brisk walk. You stay inside the city. There's reproach outside the city. And Jesus went outside the city. Jesus bore reproach so that he could save us. And so this is telling us that because Jesus bore reproach to save us, we need to bear reproach we need to be willing to embrace reproach by going all in with Jesus you see any time we go all in with Jesus and Jesus alone it's going to bring some level of reproach you're either going to get a level of reproach from church folk who think that you should be following all of these rules that aren't actually found in the bible and you're like hey god bless you i'm not doing that because jesus is my righteousness i'm not playing your games and you're going you're gonna to get, get reproach from them. Or you're going to get reproach from the world because they want you to join in all the stuff they do from, from culture to politics to the way you spend money to specific sins even. And you're going to be like, I'm not doing that because Jesus is my all-sufficiency. So you're going to get reproach from one place or the other if you go all in with Jesus. And the text today is saying... Jesus bore reproach for you. Go all in with Jesus and bear reproach with him. And we need to embrace that reproach because otherwise, if we do anything to shield ourselves from reproach on the left or on the right, what we're going to do is we're going to find ourselves rejecting Jesus. And so to some degree, Anything we do to try to avoid reproach is a rejection of Jesus and it will not benefit us. If Jesus bore reproach to save us, then he will help us with his grace and he will enable us to bear whatever reproach or rejection we might encounter as we pursue him. Which brings us to the second commandment we see in verses 15 through 16, and that's about the spiritual sacrifices we offer to God. Now, again, Jesus is the way of salvation. He's the way that we make all progress in salvation. So you might be wondering, why are we talking about making sacrifices? If Jesus is our sacrifice, what need is there for other sacrifices? And and it's important for us to clarify that even in the Old Testament, not all of the sacrifices were a means of dealing with sin. Not all of the sacrifices were shedding of blood to cover sins. Some of the sacrifices were simply free will offerings or thank offerings. They were just simply about worship. Some of those still involved the, the killing of an animal, but some of them just involved giving grain or giving wine. They used wine in worship to God. And so some of these things... We're not about dealing with sin at all. They were just about worshiping God. And the sacrifices mentioned here are like those because our mandatory sin offering has already been provided for by Christ. We make progress in salvation from sin's presence, from the power of the flesh, by being strengthened in Christ. But as we're strengthened in Christ, we need to offer sacrifices of worship. We need to offer sacrifices of worship because it's good for our soul. It's good for our soul to worship God. And it's also, as we worship God, another means by which God gives himself to us. And we experience him. And also these sacrifices, though they don't earn us anything with God, they are an outworking of what God has already done for us and is doing in us. So the first sacrifice that's mentioned is a sacrifice of praise. And that means lips that that confess Jesus's name. So people who profess to be Christians, they need to be offering praise to God. That's in a corporate setting like this. We sing I don't like those songs. Well, I'm not good at singing. Well, uh, whatever. That's not my style of music. Does it contain truth? Is it about God? Does it say good, truthful things about God? Then get over over you, get over me, get over us, and give God praise. Give God praise. That's one way. We also have the fruit of lips, the the sacrifice of praise, simply by giving him credit through our words, throughout our day, for all that he's done and for all that he continues to do. So one of these spiritual sacrifices that we give is a sacrifice of praise. It doesn't actually cost us anything, and we benefit in the process. The second mentioned is doing good, and closely following that is is sharing which is a form of generosity which we hit on last week. Now, notice in this whole sacrifice part what what God is saying actually in this whole passage. Christian, I've already done everything necessary to save you and ex- make you acceptable to me and fit for heaven. Lean into Jesus, take the hits, worship me, help others and be a giver. That's basically what what God is saying to us through this passage. And rather than this passage being a duty, it's actually a path to freedom. Because it frees us to find joy in Jesus. You see, the life of a Christian ought to be joy-filled because instead of being focused with ourselves and being good enough, it always comes back to jesus and the abundance that god provides for us in him jesus being the way that god has saved us jesus being the way that god will grow us and jesus being the way that god will keep us and we are when we are rooted in him it fills us fills us with praise it frees us to love god and others and to serve god and others and this is what our text is calling us to today so as you hear this today you may you may find yourself thinking man i know that my only hope is in jesus and i remind myself consistently that all my hope is bound up in jesus and 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 you know what i i, I am not trying to impress anyone and and i'm and i i have experienced before and I am willing to experience again feeling some of that reproach because of my association with Jesus and hey that's okay I just want to love God and follow Jesus and and I want to serve and give and worship God And, and and you find yourself saying that today As as I'm preaching you're like yeah that's 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 where I am and if that's where you are praise God keep keep on keeping on God's grace is, is evident in your life. Praise God. May, may the grace and peace of God be with you. But maybe maybe as you hear this today, you think to yourself, you know, I am a Christian. I, I have surrendered my life to Christ. But if I'm honest about it, man, sometimes I, I find myself getting caught up in doing things that I think are somehow making me better off with God. And I, I that's just ridiculous i just need to i just need to rest in christ or you know maybe i've kind of ratcheted it back some in following christ because i'm afraid of what shade i'm going to cast over here or, I, or i've played the religious game because i'm afraid of of what shade i'm going to receive on this side and man i just i just need to embrace reproach and follow christ or maybe Maybe I'm slow to praise God or maybe I've been reluctant to do good or maybe I haven't been very sharing and man, I just, I just need to, to come to Jesus today, not because I'm not a Christian, but, but because I've gotten distracted and I just need to remember my all sufficiency is in Jesus. And if that's you today, that's the good news about grace being a gift, something freely given that we don't earn. All we ever have to do is acknowledge that we need it and be on the receiving end. And so today, just affirm affirm that to God. But maybe, as you've heard me preach today, you realize I don't actually think I'm a Christian. I, I think that maybe I've thought Christianity was about trying to be this good person or trying to do all the right things and like hope that that someday when I stand before God, He balances the scales and. And my good outweighs my bad. I, I realize that maybe I've been thinking that because I got baptized, I'm a Christian. Or because I did this class when I was a kid that I'm a Christian. And what I'm realizing is it's a lot simpler than that. It's simply about surrendering my life to Jesus. And I have not actually done that. And if that's you today, then that can happen today. You can just simply call on God and say, I need you. I need forgiveness. I need to be adopted into your family. And I believe that that. You do all of that for me because of Jesus. And so God, do that for me today. I give, I give my life to you. And if you do that today, then whether afterwards you come talk to myself or Greg or Andrew or DeMontre or Eric or uh, Ezekiel, anyone who is on stage today, Ezekiel will probably point you to one of us. But regardless, we would love to talk with you more about it afterwards. So let's go to the Lord in prayer in light of what God has said to us today.